It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you try to imagine what a Christian life should be like, someone like Pope Francis or Mother Teresa might come to mind. Donald Trump? Probably not. And yet, in 2016, Trump was elected president partly because of the support of the most vocal of America's Christians, the evangelicals. And I really do believe we have God on our side. I believe that. I believe that. We're protecting, or there would have been no way we could have won, right? People said, how do you win? You don't have the media. You have so many things against you. Four years on. Will they try to deliver what they see as their man, Jesus' man, back to the White House? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I am David Aronovich. Today, the US election. Is God still on Donald Trump's side? I'm David Charter. I'm the Times US editor based in Washington, D.C., and I'm covering this extraordinary election as best we can during the era of COVID. What's the feeling like now? It's less than a week till the election. I think the feeling is very much that it's Joe Biden's to lose. There are some senior Democrats who are still extremely nervous, despite some of them actually mentioning the L word, which is landslide. By the time this comes out, it could all have changed, of course. But Donald (laughs) Trump is doing his very best to claw back a large polling lead that has been pretty consistent since about May for Joe Biden. Since the coronavirus got bad, even in the most fought swing states, it looks like Biden has a pretty comfortable lead at the moment. Okay, so... That's our overall picture. Now, let's zero in on what is a really interesting part of that picture. And let's start with some definitions, David. What is, for those of us who are maybe not quite so well-wist in matters theological, what is an evangelical Christian? Right. This is a Protestant Christian who believes in the literal truth of the Bible that the words and teachings of Jesus Christ are the most important things in the Bible, you recommit to live your life according to the principles and teachings of Jesus Christ. And moreover, that it's necessary to be born again into the religion to ascend into heaven. 
So evangelical Christians are people who tend to take the Bible literally and so on. How important are they in US elections? Well, the Christian religion is the overwhelmingly predominant religion in America, which is the world's largest Christian country. It has the world's largest Christian population. The Christian vote is increasingly fought over because the long-standing tradition of divide between church and politics has long since gone in America. It's a pretty strong feature of a country whose motto is in God we trust, but which doesn't have formally a state religion. It's a good point that David makes here. For us in the UK, politicians tend, in that famous phrase, not to do God. Religiosity is not a recommendation for high office. Can you imagine Boris Johnson finishing every speech with God bless you and God bless the United Kingdom? But in America... We are Americans. God bless you and thank you. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you. Good night. And God bless America. God bless you. And God bless these United States of America. And God bless America. Thank you very much. A country in which almost 74% of the population identify as Christian, politicians can't not do God. The evangelicals, the Protestant strand David has been describing for us, account for nearly a quarter of the population. The demographic analysis of the 2016 election showed that 80% of white evangelicals, 80% voted for Donald Trump in 2016. 8 zero. Yes. But how did Donald Trump get to be the chosen one? Cast your mind back to the summer of 2016 when it was Trump v Hillary Clinton. At that time, just under 40% of evangelical pastors intended to vote for Donald Trump. So what changed? Enter Pastor Robert Jeffress. And though it, is, though it is completely politically incorrect to say, the truth is this. America was founded as a Christian nation. And our success as a nation depends upon our fidelity to God's word. In 2015, when Donald Trump, the private citizen, is beginning to get going, he noticed a pastor from Dallas in Texas called Robert Jeffress, who was on Fox News quite a lot, saying the sort of things that Donald Trump was also pushing in his campaign. Trump got in touch with him, said that uh, he liked what he heard. Uh, The two made contact and met up. And Robert Jeffress became a very early and significant supporter of Donald Trump. And they were all sort of saying like, well, do you think Trump will do well with evangelicals? Boy, did I do well with evangelicals, right? What did he see in Donald Trump? What did Jeffress see in him so early? What Jeffress saw in Trump was somebody who was absolutely committed to putting judges in the American court system, not just the Supreme Court, which we hear about all the time, which has got nine seats on it and which every vacancy is is heavily fought over, but throughout the court system where the, the president gets to nominate senior judges at the appeals court you know, level. Christian conservatives for Trump today, and they're in the room. Let's go. That Donald Trump was committed to putting judges on who would follow the literal word of the Constitution and also be very conservative judges who would also look to rule in a conservative manner 
on the great social and ethical issues which were going to be a feature of Donald Trump's presidency. So essentially, Donald Trump meets up with this guy, Jeffress, and says, I'll give you what you want. All these things that you're really kind of keen on, I'll give you what you want. Did Jeffress, do you think, see in Trump a kind of kindred spirit in this sense, that the way in which Trump talks and the way in which he holds the attention of his audiences when he does live events feels a little bit, doesn't it, like what the evangelicals do? Yeah, I would say exactly, David, that Jeffress saw uh, in Trump somebody who could really motivate a crowd, somebody who could lace an extremely conservative message with a lot of humour and a human touch to motivate voters and to reach people who never perhaps really engaged with the system before to come out for uh, this conservative movement, which I guess will become known as Trumpism. I wrote The Art of the Deal. I wrote many bestsellers like The Art of the Deal. Everybody read The Art of the Deal. Who has read The Art of the Deal in this room? Everybody. I always say, I always say, a deep, deep second to the Bible. The Bible is the best, the Bible. The Bible blows it away. There's nothing like the Bible. Right from the very beginning, if you were to take a kind of model of a Christian man and the morality of a Christian man, it isn't going to be Donald Trump. How did they deal with the utter difference between the, the Christian life, as they said it should be led, and the life led by this man who was now to be their candidate. This is an absolutely fascinating rationalisation, if I can use that phrase, for this uh, religious moment, when a growing group led by Jeffries, but of course these, there's no particular leader of the evangelical movement, and it was a gathering of like-minded pastors who uh, behind Trump. And the theology that was injected into this was called the support for the imperfect vessel. (laughs) So Trump was compared to historical figures in the Bible who were not necessarily believers even, who did great works to advance the cause of the religion. So two figures are mentioned. One is called Cyrus, who is referred to uh, as a non-Jewish messiah because of his work to build up territories that enabled uh, the word of God to spread as opposed to other religions or or non-religions. And he was venerated as a great leader for Israel, for the building of the the dream of of an Israeli state or empire. The other is King David, who, again, venerated in the Bible, but an imperfect man. So the story in the Bible goes, King David had an affair with the wife of a general of his, uh, a wife called Bathsheba, who fell pregnant. And he tried various schemes to get the general, who was called Uriah, back from the, the front where he was fighting godly battles to come back and lay with his wife so that uh, there would be no suspicion falling on King David. And when Uriah was such a model general refused to come back to see Bathsheba, King David sent the word to the front line, to his other generals, that they should pull back and let Uriah take the charge, knowing that he would probably be killed in battle, which he was, leaving Bathsheba widowed and able to become a wife of David. Look at King David. He's an imperfect 
guy, but he's served the will of God. And uh, we should be understanding that God sometimes sends an imperfect vessel. Just how imperfect this modern vessel was soon became uncomfortably clear. The story the political world has been buzzing about all afternoon, a just-released tape from 11 years ago on which Donald Trump can be heard making some extremely crude comments about himself and women. Uh, This is a recording of Donald Trump speaking with Billy Bush, then of Access Hollywood, uh, on a bus as they were headed to another program that Trump was going to be on. I don't even wait. Hey, when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab him by the (laughs) I can do anything. What was important about the grab them by the genitals moment, uh, which came just weeks before the 2016 vote, was that both Robert Jeffries and another important televangelist called Pat Robertson both came out very quickly and stood by President Trump when that tape was revealed. You've been defending and campaigning Donald Trump from the very beginning, but sir, how do you defend uh, the most recent audio leak that we've seen? Well, let me be very clear about this. These statements were lewd, offensive, and indefensible, but they're not enough to make me vote for Hillary Clinton. Last week, I was in Trump Tower. I moderated a meeting between Mr. Trump and religious leaders. And I said, with Trump seated to my left, I said, look, I might not choose this man to be a Sunday school teacher in my church, but that's not what this election but is about. Being it's the about president, choosing the best leader to I, reverse the downward spiral. Of but the it's also about electing someone with character and with judgment. It was the evangelical leaders who offered him absolutely crucial support at that moment when his campaign could have crashed and helped him through. But even prior to the Trump candidacy, the evangelical movement had become identified with one of the two great American political parties, the Republicans. So how did that happen? We will answer that in just a moment and discuss if the phenomenon can help Donald Trump win again. If you're enjoying this podcast, and I hope you are, don't miss out on our flash sale. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get 50% off for six months. You can enjoy all the journalism that both papers have to offer. That deal ends this Friday, the 30th of October, at 5pm. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Time for a little history of a big movement. There was no real formal organisation of the evangelical vote for uh, many years. And it's only, I think, really since the great sort of civil rights movements and relaxations of, of old conservative values in the 1960s, the conservative branch of evangelicalism has come together to, if you like, oppose what they see as a degeneration of morals and ethical behaviour in, in America. That living by God's principles brings a nation to greatness. I've been concerned that since World War II, along with our prosperity, uh, we have begun to forget what made us great. And that really first became a structured organisation in the late 1970s when a movement called the Moral Majority was founded by a Baptist minister called Jerry Falwell. Good morning, and I welcome you to the morning service at the Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm Jerry Falwell, pastor here, 
and it's a real joy every Sunday morning. He was a prominent televangelist and a long-time supporter of the Republican Party who originally came out against Jimmy Carter in 1976, a Democratic president uh, who actually taught Sunday school and was a very religious man, yet Jerry Falwell said, well, this president is bad for the moral and ethical and spiritual development of America. And so he went on to form the moral majority, which became the backbone of support among evangelicals for Ronald Reagan during the Reagan years. I'm told that tens of thousands of prayer meetings are being held on this day. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. We are a nation under God. And I believe God intended for us to be free. It would be fitting and good, I think, if on each inaugural day in future years, it should be declared a day of prayer. Despite his Hollywood background, Ronald Reagan was seen as a champion of conservative values when seen in the context of pushing back against the Democrats. Now, during that period, had the number of evangelicals in the population been growing? Or had there been something of a movement? So actually, during this period, there's what is known in America as the Great Awakenings. These are moments of great religious fervour and revival that have occurred over the centuries. The first three Great Awakenings, or perhaps the only three according to some people, are in the dusty realms of history. But the fourth Great Awakening religious revival was said by some to have taken place in the late 60s and early 70s in response to the, the degeneracy, if you like, the permissive years the sexual revolution, the era of birth control, and also in America of a very important court ruling at the Supreme Court, which guaranteed a woman's choice of abortion in every state. And it's called Roe v. Wade in 1973. So part of what spurred the evangelical movement to this so-called Great Awakening was a direct reaction to the sexual revolutions of the 60s and the new era of liberal freedoms. We're now into a, a period of American history where Christianity, although overwhelmingly dominant, is actually on a gentle decline in America. But it's the Christian right, the Christian evangelicals who have got themselves super organised, first of all under the umbrella of the moral majority. And the, the real crowning achievement is the appointment of Antonin Scalia, uh, a very conservative justice to the Supreme Court. And this is important, of course, when we think about the Trump administration and its achievements for the Christian right. That appointment of Scalia made sure that there was this extremely conservative Christian viewpoint on every Supreme Court ruling from the mid-80s until he died just a few years ago. And it set uh, really a precedent of what was really important to the Christian right, which was, let's make sure we live in a nominally secular country, but where you can really influence the tide of legislation even is on the Supreme Court, because that interprets the legislation in some of these key ethical and, and moral decisions that have to be made. And Scalia was the great mentor of the new Supreme Court judge, Comey Barrett. Correct. Amy Coney Barrett, who is being uh, confirmed as we speak to the Supreme Court, was a clerk to Antonin Scalia and has said during her confirmation process that she indeed looks up to the example set by Scalia. 
So by the 80s, the evangelicals were starting to have real political influence. They raised money, backed candidates, lobbied and organised. But while Republican presidents such as Reagan, George Bush Sr and G.W. Bush courted evangelical votes, once in the White House they kept the noisy Christians mainly at arm's length. But not the current incumbent. The evangelical Christian right is playing a long game and along came President Trump. What has Donald Trump in office actually managed to deliver for the evangelicals? Some of the key things include a ban on transgender personnel serving in the US military, a much greater restriction on funding being given to groups that promote abortion, the appointment of three very conservative judges to the Supreme Court. These judges all happen to be of Catholic background, as it happens but they are seen as really a, a crowning achievement of President Trump's uh, presidency. And also, because of the peculiarity of the way the evangelicals look at Israel, there was also the embassy question affects them. On the question of foreign policy, President Trump has really defied many in the Middle East policy game by shifting the US embassy uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was a great call of the evangelical Christian right for their own theological reasons and beliefs that the support uh, of Israel is a great and godly pursuit of America. And who was there to preach in Jerusalem at the opening ceremony for the embassy? Dr. Robert Jeffress of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Heavenly Father, we come before you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thanking you for bringing us to this momentous occasion in the life of your people and in the history of our world. Trump. Without President Trump's determination, resolve, courage, we would not be here today. And I believe, Father, I speak for every one of us when we say we thank you every day that you have given us a president who boldly stands on the right side of history. But the, the picture you draw is that is essentially that Trump has actually done a lot for what these particular people want. Well, the Reagan agenda with the appointment of Scalia was seen as a great moment. Uh, in fact, the Jerry Falwell, who founded the moral majority to push for uh, a holding back of this tide of permissiveness, in America actually disbanded the moral majority at the end of the Reagan administration because he thought its job was done. However, there's clearly more work to do, according to Robert Jeffers and others, but they are mightily pleased with the achievements, as they see it, of the Trump administration. And a recent Pew Research poll puts the support of white evangelical Protestants for President Trump now at 78%. So that's almost identical to the exit poll from the 2016 election. That's really interesting. So is the belief that they could actually help significantly to deliver him back to the White House? Or is it their belief that what well, he's done his work, he's got the Supreme Court majority uh, and so on, and that will then kind of work ahead. The imperfect vessel can now be, I don't know, retired or whatever you do with imperfect vessels. Well, this is really only going to become clear on November the 4th and, and afterwards. But it is true that a lot of the 
conservative Christian right don't have anywhere else to go. And they're fully on board with the Trump narrative that a Democrat victory would mean uh, socialism, if not communism, in America. When they talk about that, they're not necessarily talking about the economic plans so much as the the moral and spiritual environment. And if you listen carefully to Trump's speeches and rallies at the moment, you will hear him say when he's talking about coronavirus, for example, the most significant thing of Joe Biden wanting lockdowns is that he wants to stop you worshipping. He wants to stop you going to your congregations. And it's a line that's dropped in and it may just wash over some people, but it's there because it speaks to the conservative Christian right and reminds them that Trump is still fighting uh, the good fight to keep churches open in this age of coronavirus, while these Democrat governors are trying to prevent people from gathering and celebrating their religious beliefs. Do you mean there are actually some evangelicals who believe that Joe Biden wants to close their churches? Well, we know that Trump is a great exaggerator. This is, of course, one of his many rhetorical flourishes. But this is a land of enormous conspiracy theory, David, as you probably realised. And there, of course, are people who see anything on the Democratic side uh, they regard it with, with great suspicion. Why are Black Lives Matter demonstrations allowed to happen and yet church congregations are banned? That's very much a discussion in conservative uh, circles. One of the contrasts which you're bound to make is that Joe Biden is actually a practising Catholic who goes to Mass every Sunday and is much more obviously a kind of what do we say, a family man in the conventional sense than, say, Donald Trump. Does any of that make any difference? Right. We're back to vessels again, aren't we? Because Joe Biden, he always goes to mass on Sunday mornings. Donald Trump has been to one church service, I think, during the campaign where he very ostentatiously produced a fistful of $20 bills to put into the collection plate. (laughs) And so Biden's personal faith, which is really strong, and has been severely tested. And it's a very interesting faith journey. He talks about how he nearly lost his faith when his first wife and baby daughter were killed in a car accident out of the blue in the 1970s. He carries in his pocket the rosary of his late son, Bo Biden, who died from brain cancer in 2015. And for me, my religion is just an enormous sense of solace. I go to Mass and I say the rosary. I find it to be incredibly comforting. And Kierkegaard said, faith sees best in the dark. It's clearly a pretty devout guy. But this goes back to to the discussion of the imperfect vessel. Would Joe Biden deliver what the conservative Christian rights are hoping for from a US administration? Probably not. Back in the day, when Biden was starting out in politics... He thought that Roe v. Wade went too far. He thought it gave too much choice to women. In, in other words, that the, the window for abortion was, was too generous, etc. However, he has moved, as his party has moved more to the left on these issues, Biden now says that if Roe v. Wade is struck down by the Supreme Court with its new six to three conservative majority, that he as president would seek to codify the guarantee of abortion in the law. So he's moved to the left on uh, these more ethical 
matters. Are there particular states where this vote is more important than others? That's a good question because one of the largest evangelical congregations is the Southern Baptist Congregation. And so when we look at states like Georgia, where they are turning slowly Democrats and are in real contention in this election, there is a possibility that Joe Biden could win Georgia. That actually speaks to me about the strength of interest in Biden defeating Trump, because there's probably more of a tendency in that state to have rather conservative cultural and ethical views. And yet it seems to be trending away from the Republicans. It's extremely close in this election. Are you saying, in effect, that it's just possible that at this election it will be less decisive that the Christian evangelical white Protestant vote goes for the Republicans? I think at the margins uh, of of that voting block, A, they've banked quite a lot under President Trump with the three Supreme Court judges. I don't think they feel they could have achieved an awful lot more under four years of Trump. Whether that translates into either staying away from the polls or or even voting for Biden, I just think we'll have to find out after the election, I'm afraid, because you, the, the polling suggests that they still don't feel comfortable with the Democrats. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, David Charter, The Times US editor. You can read more of David's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Will Rowe. Executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Tom Birchall. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Acast. And now we're available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. See you soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.